it began with a sound that no one was ever supposed to hear. He recorded a murder they say never happened. John Travolta. Nancy Allen. Wired for sound in Brian De Palma's blowout. Murder has a sound all its own. Rated R. See it at a theater near you. You know, every time we get together, every time we get together to talk about one of these films, it's eerie how much it mirrors our real life story and how we've all met. It's crazy, isn't it, guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uncanny. I mean, it, it wasn't that long ago that I was uh, I was just a sound mixer uh, working on uh, low budget horror films. Uh, you know, Brent was working on. Uh, setting people up and video recording them doing nefarious acts and david was an, an elite assassin and one uh, one night our, our worlds collided and we decided to start a movie studio and a podcast empire it's 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 incredibly similar to oh what's that movie uh there's a movie that's almost exactly like that is it is it brian de palma's blowout that's the one that's it that's the one. It's so funny. It's almost like he was, he had a documentary crew following us. And there you have yeah, it. That's right. <laughs> we are, well, we are his hearts of darkness. That is true. That is true. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Reconsinimation. I'm John Diner. I'm David Munchak. And I'm Brent Hutchins. And this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And we're checking out how they hold up today. And like we just said, we're covering, uh, we're introducing Brian De Palma to the to the podcast after all this time. How about this is that? the first? This is the first movie that he's that that he's been covered in Reconsideration. That is that is correct. I believe that, that's true. Wow, we're trying and, to hit. You know, we're trying to hit the big directors from that time period. And as you know, we're we're winding our way through year three, heading towards year four of our fifty three year contract. Uh, we we just kind of look back, you know, as we've mentioned, some actors that we haven't been on the show. Now we're looking at some directors that haven't made an appearance. So Brian De Palma, it's you're up at bat. So uh, we're taking a look at Blowout with uh, John Travolta and John Lithgow and Nancy Allen. And where do you guys uh, where do you guys stand with with Brian De Palma? Are you fans or not fans? Yeah, I'm. I'm yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's fine. <laughs> like him. I'm a, a, I'm a kind of hit or miss with Brian De Palma. You know, I like a lot of his earlier stuff quite a bit, um, or at least it sticks out to me as as things that got a lot of cred and and hype when I was younger. I mean, Carrie was a big deal mm-hmm. uh, when I was growing up. Obviously, Scarface. Um, you know, and I think Untouchables uh, is a great movie, uh, but a lot of his later stuff. Uh, I'm just not as big a fan of. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I'm very hit and miss with him. Mostly, mostly miss. There's Ooh. a handful that I like, some that I really like, but that's very, very small number. Most of them, I just feel like have aged really poorly. And so, and we're going to get into it in the show, but 
such heavy stylization that he uses that just to me doesn't it just doesn't sit well it, it takes me there it's so much so visual and so there's so much audio going on that it it takes me out of the out of the movie so it's funny i maybe i haven't seen a whole, like i haven't seen everything that he's done but the ones that stick out of my head you know the ones that i just mentioned like i don't recall that being such a large element but having seen blown out i mean it is heavy with the split screens and things like that and i i mean in in this movie it was taking me out of it the whole way through i was like wait what is going on like why are we doing this this yeah. is not working for me but huh. but i don't recall that as much in things like scarface or untouchables um or i mean even yeah is even in touchables is it no is it it's, no it, there's and there's different remember. there's different de palmas and we're, we're going to get into that that there's there's kind of more studio de palma that doesn't use that stuff as much but you know like the untouchables and carlito's way and scarface and mission right. impossible but but those those are the big you know like we said studio pictures whereas yeah. these are more of kind of what was closer to closer to his heart and his passion projects because if, right. if it were up to him if we're le- if he were left to his own devices it would be one giant it would be like 32 split screens all going simultaneously with nothing but deafening score it was driving <laughs> oh. me crazy yeah. oh, yeah. wow <laughs> i kind of liked it i kind of liked Did it you? in this one. okay well it hey man yeah it wasn't everywhere about you know maybe maybe because i like, am I thinking of Ocean's Eleven? Like, I really love the Ocean's Eleven remake. And there were, like, well, you know, a lot of little parallel action things, I think, were happening. It seemed like a heist movie. Like, ooh, there's stuff going on and lots of stuff. And there's so much stuff. You have to look in two different directions. But I guess, like, in like if you take Ocean's Eleven as the example, right? Like, I think that when you're seeing the split screens, they're all kind of the story and the and the images that you're seeing are all kind of related to the plot that they're trying to to push through. And I feel like in, in blowout, that wasn't necessarily the case. Like, I mean, I get that they're like underlying themes of the, of the movie, but like the opening scene where he's doing the, the split screen and it's like, okay, you've got one half of the screen is, is the reels and everything. And then the other half of the screen is something that's completely not related and it doesn't really fit together as well. Like I, I found it like very like um, polarizing for me, I guess, in a way. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I'm not saying it was, it was well executed every time. I think you're right. There, there seemed to be some incongruity between what you were seeing. Um, like, you know, why are you showing us all everything? But right. it was, but it was more the, I think it's like the, the more, uh, not where you have a, a straight like black line between things where it's like the owls or something, you know, mm-hmm. you're just trying to com- compose the shots without doing like a, what do you call that? That lens, the diopter. Diopter lens, yeah. Diopter lens or whatever. So trying to do something with a little more, just a different way to do it. I found yeah. it. I thought, you know, it seemed a little more. It seemed very film schoolish in this movie. Like, I kinda, would agree with that. Like, kind of like, see what I can do. Here's here's a cool thing I'm gonna do to, to this... show you something that you don't normally see in a movie. You know, kind of thing. It's kind of film schoolish. Yeah, this so, movie reminded me of film school quite a bit, actually. <laughs> right. Well, I feel like all of De Palma's 70s stuff, it feels that way. You know, it's really up until 
Scarface that it, it feels like he's experimenting and and he really was sort of started as an ex, more of an experimental filmmaker in the, in the 60s and I think that just morphed into his 70s style where he is dealing with more of a straight straight plot lines and not not so avant-garde but still employing yeah. a lot of those visual look I'm pr- I'm playing with this I'm going to I'm just going to try this move here and and see what happens and and uh, but that kind of stops later on it's been so long since I've seen Carrie, but I don't remember it as much feeling as film schoolish in in Carrie. But mm-hmm. but it's quite possibly it was there. I just oh, it's it's, it's absolutely there. Yeah, yeah. It, it's absolutely there. I, I actually, you know what? Before we go all the way into <laughs> all the way into De Palma, because I want to talk a little bit about his background, and then I as we do that. We're going to talk about Carrie, especially, and some of the others that lead into this film. Great, but, lead uh, the way. we're you know, there's something odd about this podcast. Nobody talks about the year 1981 except us. David, remember when we recorded Thief, and we referenced yeah. that no one talks about the year 1981? Yeah, this is our fifth movie from 1981. Really? <laughs> oh my God. Escape from New York, Halloween 2, Friday the 13th, Part 2, Thief, and now Blowout. Wow. I think we've, we've hit all the, all the greats from 81. Well represented. I, I, think, I think we deserve an award. <laughs> yeah, the 81 res- reward. Yeah. <laughs> the, the 81ers. We should yeah. release the, these episodes as a box set, the 81 collection. Oh my That's God, right. yes. Well, well it- you know, when we are inducted into the podcast hall of fame in 2053, when our contracts up, uh, they're going to release, you know, year by year, how, uh, how we've covered that year's uh, entries into the film world. Absolutely. So, um, and this movie actually calls back to a movie we recently covered, which was Francis Ford Coppola's The Conversation. So, yeah. and that's actually what got me thinking about this about this one. When we watched that, I really wanted to see. I always knew that they were very similar in in concept and idea, but I wanted to see how how similar they were in execution, and they really are quite different. To me, I felt like they were quite different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I think for my personal tastes, I think the conversation is a much more well-rounded and better put together movie than, than uh, Blowout was. Um, I don't know. But I think a lot of that also hinges. I think that Gene Hackman just is a better actor than John Travolta is. And, and I think he carried the movie a lot better than Travolta did with this movie. And that, that might be a lot of where my opinion comes from. You're, you're I, putting the cards on the table. <laughs> I'm throwing it out there. Hey, look, Travolta's got his spots, but I mean, this, <laughs> I don't know this movie, some of this movie, I like, and I enjoyed the movie, but there's parts of it where I'm like, it's pretty cringeworthy. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, yeah, there's really no comparing Gene Hackman and John Travolta just on any level, like for any reason, you know, uh, and I think it comes down to the script, too. I, th- I don't yeah, I don't know if Blowout's that that uh, as well put together of a script. And um, but I, I was actually it was nice to s- haven't seen John Travolta sort of play like a pretty straight role, like in a while, like, so that, I, he, you know, John Travolta these days seems a little more, uh, you know, a hyper 
hyper stylized version of himself yeah. where this yeah. is him like just kind of just playing this everyman guy and it, it kind of worked for him for the most part i think um part of it was trying to find his real motivation to like do the right thing like it, it's a little hard to establish like why he would care i think that's that's what the script was lacking you know but other than that you know i thought i thought what he was i thought he pulled it off you know well yeah you see watching it this time I, I am so not a John Travolta fan. I, I think 95% of his work is awful. I mean, awful. Wow. Just, okay. There's so, he's done so many bad movies that, that he's of course known for like the great ones. And, and you forget that when he wants to, he really can, he can be a really, really good actor. I agree, Brent. He's not in Gene Hackman's league in general. I did like his performance in this and I did, I saw in this role, I totally saw what Tarantino loves about Travolta. Like I could see that kind of in, in, in really in just his, some of the scenes with between him and Nancy Allen, like just, he was very smooth and very like, I could see that Vincent Vega, you know, sparkle in him, but so oh, yeah, often pretty, you're pretty cute <laughs> when you get the mud off your face. You know, it's like, <laughs> like, all right, guy. But then you got script, but yeah. Still. But then you look at all the broken arrows and the you know all the movies he's all the action the bad action movies he's done for the last twenty years. I mean, it's like Pulp Fiction, you know, Grease, Saturday Night hey, Fever, Face Off. This <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you. Face about Off face is off. incredible, <laughs> <laughs> and Travolta plays it perfect. Yeah, so mean, over the top, though. What a powerhouse matchup, Travolta and Nick Cage. Yeah, oh, the two of them. Face-off. Two of them went crazy. It's great, I guys. Mean, that's I, John I'm, Woo, right? Like that's I mean, John. Woo. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's, it's over the top goodness from Beautiful. all three sides. Lots of birds flying and just oh, yeah. amazing, yeah. amazing things going. White on. white doves. White doves. White doves and gun and gun battles. Ooh, <laughs> that's all you need. Gimme. <laughs> <laughs> But you forget, I, like, like I, I don't know that the Travolta though just he can do it when he wants to. I mean, he was great in the uh, was it the O.J. Simpson uh, Ryan Murphy show, the American was it uh, uh, American Crime Story, people, American Crime people Story. versus oh was it People versus O.J. Simpson or was yeah, that the, yeah you know it yeah. just as I as I it just flashed in my brain because we're talking about both Travolta and Gene Hackman, uh, you know, get shorty where they merged their talents there it is and that was a good one you know that one was good and he was good in that it was good but when was the last time you saw that one you know (laughs) it came out in 95 so probably (laughs) 97 (laughs) exactly uh again travolta post pulp fiction just was playing versions of Vincent Vega and, and that's what gets shorty is. And it's like mm-hmm. watching it now, the too cool for school thing just again is very nineties and just doesn't feel real at all. So I liked the uh, look who's talking. I think he, he increased great movie. had a that's great, good. great chemistry on that. I think he was very charming. What about perfect with, uh, with Jamie Lee Curtis, where it's the uh, he's a, a, news investigator investigating the 80s aerobics uh, scene oh. you know all the crimes going on there and i heard it was deadly back then but <laughs> i haven't seen that i think that now that you mention it though i 
there's there's a clip that they show of that all the time, right? Where all the time like gyrating and sweaty, and he's yep. like in the aerobics class. The That's hip where that thrusting. Comes from. Oh yeah. yeah. All right. A lot said uh, without words. There you go. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen the movie, but if that uh, if that scene is any indication, I think I'm missing it. I'll tell you, way way more people have seen that clip than have actually seen the movie. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I would bet. So when was the when was the first time you guys saw or heard about Blowout? Uh, just real quick, a uh, couple weeks ago. <laughs> that was the first time I heard of it. First time I saw it. Was it when I mentioned it? Yeah. Okay. When, there it, you go. when it was on the list. So <laughs> boom, end of story. Brent? Yeah, I don't think it was the first time I had heard of it. I, I mean, I think it had come up in conversations uh, in the past, especially throughout film school when we were talking about uh, you know, blow up and things like that. Cause this is another one that's kind of from that, fr- you know, spawned from that. And, uh, but I hadn't seen it. I, this was the first time I'd seen it uh, or at least that I recall seeing it uh, was just, you know, getting ready for this podcast. Yeah. This was one that I, we didn't get Brent. We did not see this in film school. It was not screened mm-hmm. for us. It, nope. I don't remember hearing of it until the Tarantino craze came up after Pulp Fiction and reading books and, and hearing interviews of him where he'd talk about movies that inspired him is where he started to mention this and I'd never heard of it. Uh, and then for some reason, yeah, just, it, it just didn't get really all the way on my radar till a- after I moved to LA. And then I started trying to, I'm always trying to fill the gaps of what seventies and eighties movies I've missed. And, and, I did a marathon of them and that's where I finally caught this one. And, and I loved it the first time I saw it, I was, I was, uh, I was really into the film and, and you know, we'll talk about how we, we feel we've kind of hinted at it, but we'll, we'll talk more in detail about how we feel about it, watching it this time and looking at it from today's perspective. Cause even looking at a movie, you know, 15, 10, 15 years ago is, we're going to have a different perspective now than we did then. I mean, so many things have changed and we're just more conscious about, you know, things like the sexism and racism and, right. And you know, how that, how that holds up. But uh, Brian De Palma, I, I didn't really, he was never really one of my favorite filmmakers from the seventies. I, I, you know, I had seen a few of his films. They never really, struck a nerve with me i mean maybe scarface did but uh and of course the untouchables but that's like again that's sort of separate for me that's not really true to palma uh but reading (laughs) looking into his background i mean he grew up in the philadelphia area he had a very uh very poor relationship with his father and apparently he his father was not around a lot and was having affairs and he would sneak around after his father and film him. He would basically spy on him doing his, you know, uh, his adulterous deeds and, and whatever else he was doing. And hearing that I'm like, there's so much voyeurism in De Palma films. Like it's, it's, it's a very big theme that's in uh, maybe not every one of his movies, but a lot of them. Well, Body Double, right? That was yeah. one of his movies. Isn't that whole movie about voyeurism? And oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but there's always big sequences about people watching people. And, and you know, again, not in every single one of his films, but the opening of this one is about, you know, is from the point of view of a, 
killer who's stalking the you know co-eds and right. the typical slasher slaughterhouse fi- like <laughs> yeah slumber party massacre scene all those that was beautiful women hilarious. didn't notice anyone outside the window that doesn't even make any sense well me. do you david what notice <laughs> do you notice when the... there's people outside your window if just... i'm like looking straight out the window with what those 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 girls were doing they were looking out the window it's they, a, there's they should... a glare I don't, think, I don't think any of the mer- uh, any of the windows worked in in uh the 80s like one-way windows yeah it's yeah. all all 80s windows are one-way windows it was right. it was a different material on the windows on the glass those days so yeah yeah you know they they didn't have the windex back then it's, it's why everyone felt very comfortable to be topless indoors. Yeah. It's, you know, windows only worked a certain way. And disco balls oh. and black lights just create a kind of a, a shine that you can't see through there. <laughs> <laughs> well, De Palma is a, a founding member of the new Hollywood movement, whether you like his films or not. I mean, he came up with, with Scorsese and Coppola and Lucas and Spielberg and Friedkin, they all came up together uh, as in the new Hollywood movement. As you know, my favorite movement in American film history. And he was a very important player there. I mean, they can't. So he and George Lucas, I don't know if you guys know this. We may have talked about it, but they cast Carrie and they held auditions for Carrie and Star Wars simultaneously. So they would have actors reading for roles in both movies. Crazy. And De Palma heavily weighed in on the casting choices on Star Wars. Well, I'm glad John Travolta did not play Han Solo. (laughs) Let's do a role reversal here. It'd be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's interesting. I didn't know that. I I feel like for me, like the one, again, I'm going to go back to it. Scarface is kind of the one that I think allows him to sit in that group but i guess you know i mean even going further back with carrie uh it's really you know i mean uh the seeds are planted there but you know i mean scarface i think certainly puts him in that group solidly sure that time frame sure yeah but i mean it's funny because a lot of those guys have their big films you know, earlier on in the 70s, I mean, his first big one was Carrie, which wasn't until 76. So he was sort of just one of the group, you know, just part of the part of the big giant group of constantly collaborating filmmakers. And and his films were much, you know, smaller pictures. And, uh, you know, he was clearly influenced heavily by Hitchcock and Antonioni. Uh, you know, you see it over and over in his films. And and as they go into the 80s, you see it much more strongly, especially the Hitchcock references. And, right. and a lot of people feel like it's, you know, he's just ripping off Hitchcock. I don't, and I don't know if I totally agree with that. I think it's an over an over homage to, to Hitchcock, but I do think it's more still more of an, an homage than stealing what he's trying to do. It, mm-hmm. it always felt like a reference to Hitchcock. He yeah. was honoring his hero. Sure. I would, I, I, I can buy that. But, uh, you know, and he uses so many of those same visual techniques, the split screen, the split diopter lens, just over and over. Those kind of become his staples. Um, he, 
but again, his films weren't weren't uh, as big. I mean, he did uh, Sisters and Phantom of the Paradise and a film called Obsession all right before Carrie. Sisters is kind of, uh, I guess they're all kind of considered cult films. But uh, have you seen any of them? I have not. I saw I saw Phantom of the Paradise ages ago, and it was like the most bizarre film I had seen. Uh, up until that point which was i don't know maybe 15 years ago i was like mm. i don't i don't understand this movie i don't get it but people love it really yeah okay i'll have to check it out but carrie's the big film that that kind of really kicks in the door for him and he had a big supporter in pauline kale who was one of the big film uh reviewers of of the 60s 70s 80s i mean she was she was one of the most uh, well-respected and she was a huge champion of De Palma and saw a lot of potential in him. And even the, the couple of films where she didn't like his film and was hard on it, she still like kept the faith in him and, and blowout is the movie where she's like, he's done it. Like he's achieved his masterpiece and, mm-hmm. and this is it. So it, it's uh, I want to get more in more detail about what, what you guys think and uh, I'll put Pauline Kale on the phone with us, and and we can all go at it. Yeah, call her up. Well, she's passed away, but we can. <laughs> it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be tough. We can get the interns working on that. So, so all right. Would you consider this blowout part of his more of his seventies psychological films, or more like his later studio films? Uh, I'll abstain from answering that because <laughs> I've seen only like three, three or four of his movies. Well, I don't really feel like it's like his his later studio films. Mm-hmm. You know, it certainly feels like I, I, you know, and following his career, I don't know if you know his early success gave him kind of a freedom to create, and then he was asked to rein it in for these studio films, but you do see it a lot less and less, like like you had mentioned, kind of his avant-garde sort of approach to certain things. Um, I mean, I don't know, you know, again, like like we've been saying, I don't, I don't recall a lot of that in his, in his other earlier movies, but in this, I know he does it in through, kind of throughout, sprinkled throughout his career, but I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like this is one of those, again, sort of like possibly passion projects of his where he gets to, you know, he's had the success of Carrie, you know, Dress to Kill had some mild success, right? And so, you know, mm-hmm. he's getting to do Blowout and he gets to have a bigger voice and put a bigger thumbprint on it, um, you know. And then I don't know how well it did. I don't know how well it was received i think critically it was received fairly well um you yeah. know but i don't directly following this he 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 goes to scarface and scarface i don't think i think it's a more straightforward narrative i don't think there's a lot of that in in this i think it's more in line with things like you know your godfathers and and those type movies uh than it is you know blowout you know as far as yeah. storytelling wise yeah absolutely yeah, you know, we talked about his his the staples, his his vis, his clearly like visual style that he 
brings all of those here into blowout. And he did. I mean, Carrie has a bunch of split screens. It has some split diopter lens. It has all of those De Palma-isms. Um, mm -hmm. and, and they're used here. But then he goes and does the studio films immediately, like you said, Scarface, then The Untouchables after that, a little while after that. Right. Doesn't use any of them. Maybe a little bit split diopter lens, but none of the, you know, the, the score... The score isn't the score is heavily present in those films, maybe a little bit heavier in the untouchables, but it's not as in your face as it is in these early films. Yeah. I don't know. For me, I think he's more successful with the studio films than he is when he he doesn't. But again, like Carrie, I'm not remembering all the split stuff, but you know, it's Stephen King and similar to like moments in creep show like there's split screens and stuff in there that work that i think support mm -hmm. like kind of the the filmmaking and these in in blowout kind of take me out of it but i mean not that we need to focus entirely the conversation on his on his split screens i have opinions about other parts of the movie as well but, <laughs> but i i do think that they're interesting and not the things that i think make his other movies I don't know that the absence of them is why his other movies are good that he does with the studio either, but, but those certainly stuck out to me in this and, and took me out of it. Yeah. And I know we're probably in the minority people love a lot of, you know, hardcore film fans love De Palma and love De Palma's early stuff. I found, I usually find all that stuff really over, over the top and they take me out of the movie and I, even Carrie, you know, I loved it the first time or two that I saw it. And then it just felt like, oh, like just too over the top. And yeah. and that's a lot of De Palma. I, this was the one that it didn't bother me as much. I feel its presence. I feel all of that here in the movie, but it just didn't bother me the way it did in the other films. And then, of course, in, you know, the Scarface is very over the top, but not in the same way. Right. I wonder if it wouldn't bother me as much if we, you know, hadn't just seen the conversation so close in relation to this, uh, you know, for me, because I, I couldn't help but watch this and compare it to that movie. And, you know, I just feel like on many levels, this movie is not as strong as that movie. What, so what else, what were some of the other things that like, kind of bumped you in general about the movie i mean i think the performances i think the dialogue the script you know i feel like a lot of the stuff that's happening in this movie is just like incredibly convenient you know that and and you know like yeah you have to have your suspension of disbelief but like you know i'm out i'm i'm building my audio library so that i can build this uh scene environment and um and, you know, I happen upon this wreck. Okay. Okay, cool. At the same time, how convenient is it that there's this guy with the camera? And yeah, I understand that it's all part of the like subplot to like, yeah, catch the guy and all this stuff. Like I just, it wasn't the, working for me. Like, the and then, and then you got John Lithgow who's like, oh, I'm going to kill a bunch of girls so that, so that I can kill this one girl. And it just looks like it's a mass killing so I can get away with, you know, cleaning up this loose end. Like, I don't know. It's just like a lot of it is just like really overcomplicated and not 
I don't know. Like it just doesn't flow very well for me. Like it just doesn't work, you know? I mean, and that's, I think it's just an overcomplicated approach to, to trying to tell the story. A lot of like kind of moving pieces that I don't know how well they all sort of ended up fitting together uh, when I was watching it. I, I just didn't, you know, like it just didn't resonate with me. Well, I don't know, like the, the uh, just opening up the story, like that, that this, this whole other thing was going on and the guy's going to photograph him and blackmail and this and that, oh, that made it a lot more interesting. Like, okay, now we got, now we got some interesting shit going on. This is like Hitchcockian or something, or I don't know, like here, here's a, here's a whole other element that wasn't even anticipated. Like he's unlocking it, the mystery as it, as it goes. I, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it works, but I understand what you mean. It's like, there is, it's, it seems like the the whole movie is very much like an, an overload of stimuli. Like just, it's it's a lot of visual, a lot of audio, a lot, just a lot going on to keep you going. And I think that's why I enjoyed sort of the quieter moments where you had these just long scenes of people talking to each other to keep things moving. And cause like, there's no waste there. There's maybe wasted time, but like there is, he's t- the scenes where everyone's sort of discussing what's happening next or what they're going to do and kind of, they're talking for a while. It's like they, they really it's the character stuff's happening there. Like, OK, let's let's try to really get a sense of uh, of, of who these characters are. But it seems like he has to show you everything like the met the the methods, the techniques, the process, the steps in order. Like like it is like that voyeuristic thing of like this happens and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens. And that's how he finishes doing that thing. And there's like just ever there's so many of that, like throughout the movie. Um, that he, yeah, he just wants to keep showing you stuff. Like, let me here, let me show you how this does. This is this works, uh, and even and even there's so much going on. I've got to show it to you in split screen. So he's just like trying to overwhelm you. I think a little bit with information. Like that's how it feels to me. Um, yeah, like I don't. I'm not like a huge. I'm not very knowledgeable about De Palma. So this is like a different. This is a nice little veering off of like, a, a, you know, a, a, just a regular narrative. I think a little bit. I think it was a little. But it is, a, I, I'm with you. It's like a little, there's a little too much going on. Yeah, I think I'm probably in the minority of people who uh, don't necessarily like this movie that much, but I do think there's a lot going on. I think that it's overly kind of complicated and I totally get what you're saying, David. And I think that that you're probably more right than I am. Uh, Not as right. Far, just... As far as that, but like, I don't know. I mean, there's just like, even... It doesn't do it for you. It no, just I work. mean, like, I don't know. I guess I've never run against, a, 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 like, I've, there's, I've never run up against a publication that puts like every frame of a, of a shot into the magazine so that somebody can make a, a flip book and then like go, you know, like, oh, okay, cool. So we're gonna do that so that we can find the puff of smoke. This this one guy is gonna find the puff of smoke because he's got the audio. I don't know, like it's that clever. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's I'm it's with super, you. it's super clever. I just don't know how well done it is. You know, like yeah. I think I think it's a little too like, oh, this is clever, but like maybe I have to make it super like convenient so that people follow it. Or I, I don't know if 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 it was just me, but like the sound, the scene where John Travolta's back in his studio or whatever, and he's like finding out that all his tapes have been erased. Like, honestly, he's putting all the tapes on and there's all these other sounds happening. I thought those were just sounds that were part of his tape library. Yeah, that was confusing. And I was like, wait, those are erased? That phone ringing is actually real? Like, what's go?" It's just like very, like, um, 
sensory overload. You know, mm -hmm. like I just was like, I don't, I'm confused at this point. Well, yeah, I, I think that's definitely part of, part of De Palma's thing is, is, is he's hitting all the senses all the time. It feels yeah. like there is a ton going on. And I, I agree with both too much for me at this point. Yeah. And, and I, one. I see both sides of it and I, I feel I've never felt as torn about this film in particular as I do right now. Cause I used to love it. And then watching it this time, I, you know, I still really enjoy it, but I, I hear much more of what you're saying, Brent. Yeah. So I don't know if it's one of those that the more you watch it, the more that stuff stands out. Cause David, this is your first time seeing it. Right. So yeah. So like, oh, I'm in film school. Like, look at that. That's yeah. cool. And that, right. And that's, I think everybody was like that the first time. And then the more you look at it, like, oh, that is kind of convenient that it all just kind of falls right into place. Oh, Coin come on. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, and you know, the film, like there are elements to it that I really like, but I think I liked them because I connected with them on a personal level. Like when he's out there, like walking around collecting sounds with his little boom mic and his recorder, I'm like, dude, we had to do that in film school. Like I remember David Stout sending us out and having to do that for, for you know, one of our one of our early film school classes. With, I'm like, with the oh, same equipment. With the exact same equipment. And I'm like, oh, that's like, it took me right back. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's cool to do that, you know, like, or, or to relate back to it. But it's completely on a personal level. It has nothing to do with the actual filmmaking or anything like that, or or the the story being told or or, me enjoying the ride that De Palma's taking me on. It's just like, hey, I can relate to that because I did it. And and so I appreciate that. Or like when he's in there and he's like running the reels and editing the audio to the to the to the uh, pictures that he gets back from the from the developer. You know, like I'm like, okay, we did that. You know, like I remember doing that in film school and I enjoy it because it was like tactile and analog and hands-on. And now everything that we do is digital and it's very different. But like that took me back to those moments, but like, it doesn't make me a fan of the movie. It makes me appreciate like from a nostalgic standpoint, like the process of making film back then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. separate, separate spiel. The, the part of the film that I still really, really do like is it's this sort of half political thriller, you know, those, the seventies paranoia films, it's still very much a part of that. It's, you you know it feels like three days of the condor and marathon man and parallax view very and and also in those movies there are i think they have some of the same problems of that you know there's very convenient things that happen to these characters and uh to set things up but i, I i'm i'm a big fan of those so i <laughs> Inciting incidences are, are convenience for you. Like, are, like, cool, that's I convenient. Know, know. He happened oh, yeah. to record that thing. Well, then you have a no, movie. Because, I get like, it. I get it. I'm, be, I'm being a, such a hypocrite because like in most movies, like the suspension of disbelief is there. And I'm like, sure, yeah. that could happen. So that could happen. Of course, there's got to be some catalyst to launch the story forward. Like I get yeah. it. This one, there just seemed to be like a bunch of random things that were placed together. And and I use I use the guy in the forest taking the 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 video or the film of it as as one example. But there's other like things like I don't understand like why Travolta it went from being like uh, you know this cop to being working on B movies. Like I mean it's just like I don't know. Like and it's not that that is necessarily a convenience 
in the movie, but it's just like, I don't, there's a lot of like decisions that I'm just like, I don't know. Well, and and they do kind of, I mean, they cover that, but they kind of leap through it pretty quickly that he was this, he was in the army, he was involved, you know, after the army, he was involved with the police and, and he has that uh, undercover operation that goes bad. And it's really, I mean, whether or not it is, he believes it's his fault. So that's, he, you know, leaves that business and then still is still involved with audio stuff. So he turns to movies. So I could right. see that, but it is kind of like, to be, uh, I'm going to turn to B movies and I'm going to be out <laughs> recording audio when this thing that my other skill set works perfectly <laughs> to help me do detective work. Yeah. I don't know. Like, Oh, come on. All right. I know. Hey, I, I know. David. I can't handle this. <laughs> I know. David. I know. But every, I mean, every movie fly. has that. You could say that absolutely. about any movie. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. You're what are you, absolutely well, right. You know that 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 movie was bullshit. If he didn't walk into that cafe, he never would have found that girl and fallen in love with her. Like, what are the odds? <laughs> Why? All because he wanted a sandwich, and now he meets this girl. <laughs> I don't know. Bullshit. I don't <laughs> I'm just kidding. I I know what you mean, though. I think you're like because it, it's easy to make a leap of like, this is just like I don't know. It's it's easily contrived or something i'm not contrived it's uh well, i don't know what well I'm part doing. of it i got, I, see what I, you're saying. I think part of it is de palma's style it, you know that that yeah. overly visual and you know sensory experience that his movies are make it feel like that make it feel i don't want to say forced but but maybe that maybe that is the word for it it doesn't feel as natural because life doesn't look like that you know it's just a lot of stretches to make it all kind of happen it i think but like again that's one opinion i I, well i feel like i mean i get it to to me that's what sets that up is that the way the way he uh his cinematography which is you know here done by vilmos zygmunt who's you know a, a legend and a genius and and beautiful shots but for I know it doesn't always put you in the flow of the story necessarily. And, and in right. fact, it can do the opposite. And I feel that way, like I was saying about a lot of his other films, it just takes me right out of it. And I think obviously yeah. it's doing that for you here, right, Brent? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it seems, I think, it, so. I, think I think I see what you mean. Cause it's like, it feels, every scene feels constructed. You, you, you can tell they, they scouted that location and they're going to shoot it from here. And the, the trucks are, parked right over there almost like it's not it doesn't really feel like you're inside the movie a lot i, I get i get what you mean when it's like it take you get you just get taken out because the language of the language of film isn't is being messed with i think with with his style on this well, and look at the shot in travolta's uh his work office that that's that circular shot that it's a one shot that just goes round yeah, and round and audio. round yeah. Yeah, that was cool yeah. actually. I like that. Well, it's it was it's very it was. film schooly. It's cool. Exactly, but exactly. It's very film schooly. Right. Yeah. It's, I love it's a one. Dis- it's very disorienting. I mean, it it's like Yeah. It's clever, but at the same time, the audio I I feel like the sensory overload aspect of it for me was the audio and not being able to discern the idea that oh, he's putting all his tapes on and there's not a sound because they've all been erased. There was so much sound going on and it was building. I felt like every time he put on a new reel, there was another like sound element that came on 
it was like, if, if, if we were supposed to be discovering that his audio reels had been deleted or, or erased in that scene, like I, I missed it completely, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and, and I don't know, I don't know, you know, if that was the point of the scene or not, but I don't know that it was very clear. Well, I mean, he luckily he told us at the end. Eh, they're all yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, oh, okay, yeah, got exactly. It. He did. Great. He told us at the very end. But if he hadn't said that, would you guys have been walking away from that scene? I mean, they even said it before. I mean, John Lithgow said it to somebody else from a phone booth, or at some point he was like, "And I erased all the tapes," or yeah, or mm-hmm. whatever. So, like, we knew that that was happening. But then we went into the scene and we saw him spiral out yeah. because he realized somebody had been tampering with his his work. You know, yeah. and and but I don't think that it really sold that that's what it was supposed to do. Like it, I don't know. You know, maybe, like it, maybe when it gets jumbled like that, it's not actually erasing it. It's 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 messing where the positioning on the tape. So you're getting a sound, but you're getting because it's just garbled electrons or whatever the hell on the right. on the surface. But, so like maybe some of the like, I'd have to watch the scene again now because I don't remember. Were we hearing like complete sounds or were we just sort of hearing noise? It starts with like a phone ring, right? And then it continues to build. And he's like, we end up finding out that he's ignoring the phone ring and the lady walks in and she's like, are you going to answer the phone? And and then he's like freaking out about the, about his tapes being erased. Right. And so, but like, there's all these, I don't, at a certain point, I didn't know if I was like losing my mind. Maybe I was hearing things that weren't actually on the tapes and they were silent but that phone kept ringing and ringing and ringing and i thought okay like that's his reel where he's got a phone ring so that he can build his like audio environments right and then he's got the next one and the next one and the next one and spinning and i'm like okay i don't know what's happening anymore <laughs> well i f- i felt so distracted by the spinning like i'm thinking about i'm not thinking about the story anymore i'm thinking about that shot that brian de palma's doing yeah. You know what well, I mean? Like I'm thinking yeah. about the visuals and not thinking about the story. And then once that stopped, like, oh, oh yeah, what's happening here? Oh yeah, he's okay. So he's panicking and all the tapes are erased. Okay. Yeah. I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe... The... go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say from a technical standpoint, the spinning shot was cool. Like it was, oh, of it course. Was, yeah. It was very like well executed. But I think that the whatever the story point of that moment was, was I was, it was lost for me. I, I... I, I saw it as like it's it's a it's a way to present a, something very kind of boring, his little investigation, but his building panic, and then it's just sort of like not spiraling, but yeah, circling circling around to find figure this thing out. It, to me, it kind of upped the tension. So like I, the thing is, I didn't know the phone. At least I assumed the phone was was real, so I didn't assume it was the tape. So I wasn't I wasn't confused on that. So, yeah. but to me, because he wasn't answering it, it's like. Fuck, what answer the phone that's really annoying because he's he's trying to figure shit out so to me that seemed like a high tension scene like i kind of liked it because then it, it led to the conclusion like everything's been screwed with and it, and i did notice the first time we saw the trunk of the car where uh lithgow went to change the tire mm-hmm. there's just a big big uh, brown cardboard box and just a magnetic tape eraser or something <laughs> like that <laughs> And I'm like, oh, I guess that's going to come into play later. How convenient. Uh, no. It's just like, uh, th- this guy already had uh, had the tools to take care of all this stuff. Well, don't you? You don't carry one of those around in the trunk of your car? <laughs> yeah, well, I and I don't understand. Did they, like, like why, why did Lithgow decide instead of just 
getting a blackmail tape that he needed to go and like kill everybody and be like yeah it's it's interesting that he murderer. didn't he didn't just kill travolta it'd be right. too i don't know i mean yeah. maybe he's trying to so the thing with killing the the uh, prostitutes really is he's setting up that he's setting it up that there's a serial killer loose so no one will really be looking his direction when he kills who his real target is it's sort of sort of red herrings that he's he's building along the way so if he kills travolta then it's like then it's another person that he's killed and what's you know there's how will he distract the police from getting on his trail yeah i I guess it's it's a whole lot of risk to take to kill one prostitute by killing eight instead in some pretty outland oh she's walking into a bus i'm gonna snatch her from here no one in this crowd is going to see me snatch her. Completely crazy. <laughs> that should not <laughs> like, have worked. Like, I mean, it's just like, oh, okay. okay. Yeah, that seems like it's out of the like the 30s and the 40s. Like, you know, just like this guy who likes killing. And he's just, he's unstoppable, though. He's he's, he's unstoppable. Lithgow. You can't stop Lithgow. He's unstoppable. He's a killer. Well, and there's really only one scene that really goes into what's going on with with Burke, who is Lithgow's character that, you know, he was hired to to basically frame or set up a framing of this governor who is the going to be probably the presidential candidate. Uh, So no one was supposed to die. That was not ever the plan (laughs) that it was going to have this blowout and this accident and this photographer is going to be there to take pictures of him with this with uh this prostitute and and he took it on his own to like add murder into the equation and then the wrong person gets murdered the the governor gets murdered and then it's a whole and travolta happens to be there and saves the girl and now she's alive and can talk and she's been hired by burke so uh you know can absolutely point the finger at him but although she's never met him (laughs) so it's yeah there's it's a very complicated plot uh yeah bordering on over complicated it's right on that line for me i mean i can buy it but the group that i watched it with this time my team uh i could tell that they were they were lost that they were not yeah uh, not following yeah, there's a lot or not. Not that they weren't following it; they were following it, but they were they weren't buying it. Yeah, I'm in that group. God, guys, we've, we're passionate about this one. Lots to say. A lot, lot of it's good. Welcome, welcome to the show, De Palma. You're in the hot seat. <laughs> He's literally here in the office, sitting in in the no literal hot seat. <laughs> yeah, no hard feelings. I like a lot of your other work. <laughs> um. Yeah, so let well let's let's rewind for one second. Let's talk about the 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 making of the film and and how it came to be. So, very similarly to the conversation, this was based on uh, Antonioni's Blow Up, uh, which was really about perception and seeing something, uh, thinking thinking it means one thing when it actually means another. And and we talked about that in our conversation episode. Which, if you haven't heard it already. You can listen to it in the archives at www.reconcinemation.com. Uh, the so you know this is very similar. That that is this situation that Travolta sees really what it is, or is there something else going on here? And much like Hackman, 
Travolta dives deep to find out, no, there's definitely something more. And, and it's, you know, he's reliant. He, he leans on his own skills that he knows that, that there was more than just one sound there, that it wasn't just a tire blowing out. There was something else. And then, yes, I think conveniently he, <laughs> he takes the still images and makes like a picture book. And then he sees the actual, you know, the actual shot coming from the, the side. But uh, so he wrote this film in late 1980, right after he did Dress to Kill. So he does Carrie, he does The Fury, he does Dress to Kill, and then straight into this. And clearly uh, very influenced by Hitchcock, um, like a lot of his pictures of that time period. It was like you could feel, I don't know, there's so much psycho in this and and a bit of Rear Window and a, and a few of the others, but... Did you guys feel that, that there's that, that Hitchcockian element? Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, even in that opening scene where there's the, I mean, the kill in the shower with the yeah. scream, you know, right. I mean, that's yeah. Yeah. It's like direct, direct lift from Psycho. So. Yeah. I just real pause, loved, loved, loved that original actress's scream. I oh, yeah. laughed <laughs> so hard at that. And it was, it was I was brilliant. I just, and I love that, you know, it's part of the story, but it, yeah. I was just like, my God, that was hysterical. Like that like, was how could you, unbelievably good. How could so, you do a scream that badly? You know, yeah. that's good acting right there. <laughs> oh yeah. They got a couple of them too. Cause when they go back to it and later in the, in the movie and they're in the sound booth and he's got the two ladies there trying to do the scream, they're both just equally as terrible. They're yeah. so bad. And they're pulling on each other's hair to help get them the scream. Oh yeah. Like, oh wow. Like, I wonder. I wonder what story he's pulling from in his filmmaking days. From yeah, for that that is related to something yeah. like that. Because that no, is that just was great, brilliant. Sorry, so I don't mean to. <laughs> back to the back to the origin of the. <laughs> uh, he wanted Pacino originally as the Jack Terry character. Al Pacino. Al Pacino. <laughs> is there another Pacino? Billy Pacino. No, <laughs> Billy Pacino. Bill Pacino. <laughs> Oh, you got me there. <laughs> you know, Bill Pacino. <laughs> uh, yeah, Al Pacino. <laughs> How do you think he would have done? So this is around like cruising. This is right before Scarface. So they would eventually team up. But what do you think? Pacino as the Jack Terry? Would you have bought that? Sure. Yeah, why not? Yeah, I probably would have liked it better. That was part. I mean, part of the thing that kept taking me out of this was was Travolta and kind of, I don't know, like his performance. I think a grittier kind of performance from Pacino might've been, might've worked better for me, but. Yeah, I think comparing Pacino and, you know, Billy Pacino and, and Travolta, I mean, Pacino probably would have really knocked it out of the park, but Travolta, I mean, this is his first role as an adult, really. You look at all the roles he did before this, but you, you know, Saturday Night Fever, Grease, uh, Welcome Back, Cotter, and Carrie, Boy in the Plastic Bubble. Like he's a teenager in all those movies. So this is the first time he's sort of maturing. And I thought, I see, I disagree. I, I think he, I think his performance is actually great in this film. Yeah. Maybe I'm that's just compared to what else he was doing. Although I do like Saturday Night Fever a lot. Um, 
that uh, I, I felt like this was really an advancement for him and one we wouldn't really see again until probably until Pulp Fiction. Agree to disagree. No, no. <laughs> I'm gonna, yeah, I, 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 you know, I think he looks good and and knows how to smoke a cigarette in a hospital. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, like, I just, I'm not as sold on the performance. I feel like it's a little cheesy and a little tongue in cheek and a Damn. little like really, uh, I kind of like melodramatic, him, but him you know. I think he was playing it pretty straight. I mean, I hey, know. for for Travolta, yeah, sure. <laughs> but like, just, I mean, you still see a, a a real cartoonish kind of guy on the screen. You still you see Barbarino. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I was just in a weird mood when I was obviously when I was watching this. But yeah, like I wanted to really like it, and there were moments, but then the moments where it didn't work for me, and I don't know if it's Travolta or if it's just the lines again, like some of the dialogue and the way that it's, but it's, you know, some of the way that he delivers the things I'm just, you know, I don't, I'm. All right. Yeah. Not, not you're just not it. You're not it. You're not paying for the, you want your money back. That's what you're saying. You're, I mean, you're, you're ready. You want your yeah. two ninety nine back. I, I, and I like Travolta. Like I'm not a Travolta. You don't that, see that's I, funny. That, I, I do that, like, you Travolta. clearly don't. It's funny that you I like, like phenomenon. Tra- I like Michael, <laughs> sure. you know, like Those are all right. you're all yeah. about the nineties Travolta. Yeah. yeah. Look who's talking and look who's talking too. Straight. Yeah. See this to me, this is like, Grease. Top, I like Greece. Face off. This is, this is top five Travolta for me. I, I think, off. I think this is a really strong, you know, I guess it's just your perspective. You know, yeah. I, I see it sort of the opposite way that that this is a a layered character, and he's a character with you can. I felt like I could feel the history, and and that he's trying to he's getting obsessed with this case because really he's trying to right the wrongs of what happened in that undercover bust gone bad. Yeah. So, um. Brent, I definitely feel you about Travolta, just not in this movie. I can take what you're saying and apply I'm that a- to like 50 other movies that he did. But for this one, I I actually really enjoy his performance. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I'm a big boy. I can live on this island by myself. It's not <laughs> a big deal. Um, so when he so it was really working with Nancy Allen on Carrie with the Palma that won him him this role also that they have the history together and he he really pushed for nancy allen to be cast as sally at the time de palma and nancy allen were married and he didn't want to put her in the movie because he didn't want her to have this reputation of only being cast in her husband's movies that she wanted he wanted her to have her own career but uh i think I think this role was uh, just a good opportunity for her. And she, I'm, I'm also, I have mixed feelings about her in this movie. I think when she's, when we first see her, you know, after the hospital and she's kind of this bubbly, I don't know, kind of spacey character that later on in the movie, there's much more, I, I you start to get, much more of the depth of her character and that she knows what she's doing. And it's sort of, she's playing a, that, that version of Sally is a character that she's playing. So ultimately 
I liked her performance. It took a while for me to get there, though. Yeah, I, I when you know when we first meet her, the hospital. I mean, she's completely out of it. It's she had like you know it's from being con- drugged and concussed yeah. and drugged. So yeah, like yeah. when she's the next when it's the next morning, she's like bop, bopping around. She's you know, so she wasn't she wasn't quite together. So but to be that for that to be a, the introduction to her and giving her a lot to do and say, it was kind of like a little tough to get through. But um, after that, yeah. Uh, I mean, at least the hospital let her go home with a total stranger. Yeah. Well, he smuggled her out. Oh, that's right. Yeah, but the the police officer, the other FBI agent, or the guy who was trying to cover up the the, the her connection with the senator, right, mm-hmm. was like, "You should take her. You should take her." Yeah. Like, okay. Well, that was right. that was Mc, I, I, Governor McRyan's like aide who just governor, wanted yeah. to cut cover up the whole thing and. So I'm sure he helped them get her out, get out, you know, get out of there. I don't know. Awkward. Like (laughs) take, so he smuggled her out. Okay. I'll, I'm, I'm on board with that. And then they have a kind of awkward conversation in his car where it's like, whose house are we going to? And then they go to a hotel. Yeah. Yeah. The hotel to hide out. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, they thought, they thought she thought that's whoever was, whoever the murderer was, was going to try and come after her next. So they can't, they need to go to a neutral place. Cool. So, yeah. I like, so I like her. In- how convenient. They found a motel. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That's all. That's all fine. Hey, you know what? It is convenient, but the, it works. It works. Uh, there's a hotel in a big city. Yeah. What is that? Who stays in a hotel? Um, <laughs> I found her performance when she was in the hospital a little uh, silly, but uh, I do think that she earns it by the end. Like she's, I think she does a good job in the, in the movie, but my favorite movie with her is RoboCop. I'm just putting it out there. Oh, sure. Of course. I'm absolutely with you. Best, best Nancy Allen movie for sure. hundred <laughs> <laughs> um, percent. Yeah. I, I like their chemistry together. I think I think they do have a good chemistry. She was just and that's part of where the character was that she was, you know, you like David said concussed most likely and in shock and drug uh, you know some kind of under some kind of drugs and so it's hard to get a real like I don't know, real sense of the character just off of those hospital scenes. Right. But I did. I really enjoyed later on as the more you learn about her and how deeply she is involved in this, um, that Jack doesn't even know the real story of what's going on yet. Uh, yeah. And then certainly by the end, like with the you know with with the ending of the film, I was I mean I was like heartbroken when she gets. It's like you 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 know this thing. I mean she's with the killer. She's trapped and he's. Jack is listening and he's got her mic'd and it's the same thing. And now he's trying to get through, get over to her, but he's stuck in the Liberty parade. And, and, you know, the final scene where he, he, where she lets out that scream is just, it's, I thought that was really well done a bit over the top. I will say visually watching it now, it's, it's a lot, there's a lot happening there. Uh, but I felt the emotion of it. I thought Travolta's performance in that scene was was really strong. And 
you know, so much was let out in that death scream of hers uh, that I, I was really moved by it. David, what do you think? Oh, yeah. Love that stuff. I, I found it really cheesy that that was the scream he ended up putting in the, the horror movie. I'm like, oh, geez. <laughs> it, I roll my eye. I get, I get it. The poetry of it and, and whatever is funny. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, by the by the end, I was really feeling like they were, you know, they were they were connected. And like this was this was a huge pivotal moment. And it's devastating for him. And uh, to I didn't think she was going to die. I thought she might she might live through yeah. this. But She's like the femme fatale or whatever that gets gets killed at the end or you know at the gets killed because she was just mixed up in the wrong stuff. Yeah, I mean it, it feels like you know he's gonna be the hero and and save her, but no, it's that no. we hark right back harken back to the 70s uh type endings where you've got your dark, depressing ending where the good guys don't always win and and uh <laughs> You have your dark, you're just left in such a dark place that she's dead and now he's tortured doubly so having gone through this for a second time and mirrored with or paired with the, the having to hear that scream over and over and know what that really was, that that yeah. was an actual person's true death scream and he's tortured, going to be forever tortured by it. Yeah, yeah poor, poor guy. Not that he needed that extra help since he was already tortured by the fact that he got the other police officer killed by the arcing battery, right? Mm -hmm. So so now he's just made it worse and worse for himself. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very much like those 70s paranoia films in that yeah. the deeper you go, the worse it's going to be. Like you're you're not going to get out of this hole. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you, David. I think that using the scream at the end the, as as the little bow was a little, yeah. little, little too much. But yeah. but I understand why he did it. And if this is the '70s uh, tortured soul ending that that has to has to is is being played out for us, sure, it makes sense. Sure. All right. So looking at it from today's perspective how do you think it's hold, held up i mean you know we're, we like to look at things racially and and from the the sexist perspective and and how how it holds up today obviously there's no there are there even any people of color in this movie i don't think so right no nobody no major roles no uh in the city of philadelphia that this takes place i don't yeah I, there's probably somewhere in the city of Philadelphia, but not, not in blowout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's a bunch of white people running around. Um, you know, that doesn't, it's just something that I don't necessarily hold against a film like this, but it's, I tend to note, notice that now that yeah. it's just something that's not present. So what about how, okay. So Brian De Palma's portrayal of women, uh, like the co-eds in the beginning. <laughs> Perfect, right? That's right. what girls do in in college, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he kind of plays all the women as dumb, right? Like, I mean, is there a woman in here that's not played as as ditzy or? Oh, Aunt Nancy Allen isn't. I mean, but at the beginning, she is terribly so. You don't right? really, yeah, you no, don't really she's... know that till like at least halfway through the film. Yeah. 
Right. Well, with the, well, she's all drugged or whatever, so and she then she evolves, and, and in then the movie, she's for sure. Then she's pretending to be not not so. You know, she's not revealing everything. So then, you know, she's cons- covering up this little conspiracy thing. Um, so you know, yeah, she's uh, she she changes to like oh, as more is revealed. So, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, other than that, <laughs> um, there's not a lot of strong female characters or just good good roles. Um, I think for for the ladies in this, Is that right? I think I don't think I, there's I, any, dudes. Right? Like I feel like early De Palma. Now again, I haven't seen all of his films, but more often than not, let's just say that more often than not, he portrays women as either evil, ditzy, or mean. Hmm. It's kind of one of those three i mean mm-hmm. carrie you have all of those three that most of the girls are you know mean girls in in high school carrie essentially com- turns completely evil into a, like a raving lunatic um and then you know or and then you've got here you've got all the women are you know ditzy coeds in the film or you know even the two actresses who are trying to do that scream it just you know right. like the way the director's talking to them it's yeah you know talking about their their breasts and and you know like just not talking to them like they're humans and yeah and then Nancy Allen even for her character Sally for most of it it's that overly bubbly kind of just she seems like a like a ditz and uh and I don't know I mean it's you like, do get a little act, bit though that's yeah exactly act. but you don't know that till till closer much closer to the end yeah all right well okay but so i don't know so this I, film uh, i don't think it really like speaks to you know women in film at all. no there's no good roles for women in this one it really <laughs> isn't nancy's part <clears throat> is the best one and uh yeah, I mean, this is a bunch of a bunch of dudes making crime and solving solving mysteries. It's uh, you know, that's just yeah. you know, I it's nineteen eighty one. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I don't think it. Yeah, I think you uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't do it like this if you remade it. Um, right. Uh, I mean, yeah. I think you could play the Nancy character different. You know, like she can still be. Uh, coy about like her involvement in things, but you don't need to play her as like unintelligent. You know, like that's not necessarily the way you have to play that. Play well, that. I think I think part of like her 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 voice affectations and her and her and the, just the pitch of her voice is like intentionally supposed to throw you off. But that doesn't necessarily. I think it just instantly makes you undermine her because she's kind of talks like a a little girl or you know well like, right yeah but it's not i don't think she ever she doesn't talk like she's dumb she talks like a she talks like a she, you know she speaks like a regular person you know and she wants to know more about him and she's like wait a minute what are you talking about oh and you do all you know like she, when she's getting to know him and stuff and she's still you know she has that voice but um i think it's it's purposely meant so you under you you, you underestimate her the, the whole time that's that's a good point you know what I mean? Yeah. She doesn't say anything stupid, but I think uh, I think that's meant so Jack can just trust her and and not pay attention to like how smart she actually is since she's covering up this conspiracy. 
I don't know. Yeah, I mean, when they have the scene together, when they're going to get a drink at the bar, like I get that. Like she's just asking the questions and things like that. But up until that point, like in the hotel room, uh, and and certainly in the hospital when she's you know like on when she's sedated or whatever, like I don't know, you know, maybe it's just the approach at performing being sedated that I find like kind of I don't know silly you know again oh yeah but i didn't i didn't like her like (laughs) as that (laughs) i thought like is this just how she is and yeah um and yeah no go ahead i I see what you mean yeah but but she certainly i mean again you know i think i think we talked about it you know she evolves throughout the movie like her character has i mean obviously it's it's the main female lead you know and it it certainly goes from i i was not expecting much from her at the beginning because of whether it was the performance or or what she was going through at that moment or how she was trying to to hide her involvement in certain things but then as it evolved like i thought she was pretty good still like robocop better as sure (laughs) what about robocop 2 I'm going to stick with just RoboCop. Director's cut. Director's cut. Paul Verhoeven. With the extra like 18 seconds of of glory. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take that. I'll take that 18 seconds every single time. (laughs) But yeah, the otherwise the women are exploited and you know, that's, it's a, I think there's a real commentary on horrible slasher movies with that are just about, uh, you know, nudity and all of that. (laughs) Uh, I don't think there's a commentary there. I think it's like very much, oh, this is just part of the industry. And the, and yeah, women are treated, they're murder victims or underestimated or just have to take their clothes off, you know? So yeah, not a, yeah, not a great, great movie for, for women. And, uh, well, and there's, like we said, there's no people of color in the movie. Yeah. So, uh, which is just not reflective to reality. It's very much a white movie by white people for white people. Yeah. White men. <laughs> yeah. Another and interesting <laughs> another interesting thing about this film to me is so there's a lot of self-reflexism in it with just about about it being about film, the film business in a certain or, or certain elements of the film business. And mm-hmm it doesn't portray it in a positive light at all. You know, like it, it portrays that, you know, the, the slasher movement was huge at this point, or was really just starting to get huge in 1981. But Friday the 13th was out. Halloween was out or the first couple of them. And they were enormous movies. And really, you know, as we've talked about on those shows, when we've looked at those films, how big of a movement it was really, was really sort of taking over for a little bit in the early eighties until it was oversaturated. But this is for a guy who's done horror movies and done somewhat slasher movies. It really wasn't (laughs) speaking kindly to that genre at all. No, (laughs) but that was back in the day, like directors were getting their start in those movies so that they could move into, to bigger movies, right? Like more mainstream kind of cut their teeth in slasher movies with subpar producing partners and, mm-hmm. and questionable, uh, you know, uh, financing methods and, you know, different things like that. 
Yeah, I don't think he's necessarily wrong in the way he's portraying it either. I mean, definitely there were there were people just out for money and looking to show topless girls uh, on screen. And there was not a lot of, for many of those slasher films, there was not a lot of creative thought being put into it. It was just churn it out as fast as you can with as many pretty girls getting all getting killed. Uh, but it also like was very, very um, sexist and very like those movies have a, tone of very anti-women you know like you just want to see violent things happen to young women uh and some young men too but mostly women right Right. so i I don't think like uh, it's just interesting interesting to see what De palma's take on that was uh at that moment for somebody who and you know two movies later is doing body double which is Mm. again continues that kind of uh thought process yeah, if that scene was shot today, that scene would seem tongue in cheek, right? Like it's yeah. just so like kind of funny, like yeah. watching it. It's like this is so ridiculous. But <laughs> the reality is, like in the eighties, those movies were being made like that. Like that's how the movies were. You know, Slumber yeah. Party Massacre is a thing that was almost exactly what that scene was in in the movie. Well, and and when it's from the killer's perspective in the beginning, going from room to room. I actually thought of the first Evil Dead movie because you see that, mm. you know, the spirit sort of perspective of, as it's going through. I don't think they're having sex, but like just the act of like spying through the window and, and watching what they're doing. I, I mean, I think right. someone does take, I think the girls do take their tops off in that movie, but there's no sex. But this, um, I mean, it's Michael, but it's also Michael Myers. I mean, it's not, you know, sure. it's, it's all that. I mean, it's the, the it's, it's Jaws. It's, <laughs> it's just... Jaws. Was the was the shark the sh- spying on people? The shark the shark was uh you know we got to he, see from his perspective a little bit. Yeah. Are you thinking first... about Jaws four where they have where the the shark and and uh, no, Ellen David's Brody right. of the psychic connection? David's right. No. Think about think about that first girl in Jaws that that gets eaten by the shark when she's swimming at yeah dusk yeah yeah you know yeah. like that's all that's yeah. the fuck absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I think we said it on our Jaws episode that it's like a, it's like a, he's a force of nature. It's like that was eons ago. Who can remember what was said then? Jaws, you mean our number two downloaded episode of the history of the show? Oh, uh, yeah, that one. That one. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, sure. So, you know, he's got commentary on, on filmmaking. He's trying to, he's making his own kind of film here. He's going to do the split screens and, diopter lenses like i'm gonna show you how to make a movie guys (laughs) that's not gonna be like this cheap slasher stuff Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-huh brent disagrees so i think that's all all gimmick i I don't even know if he's like really putting like indicting the the slasher film thing i don't think he's really putting it down i think that's i i don't think anyone who in the move in that movement would disagree with anything that was portrayed like i don't you know, I don't think it was like a. a well, it's probably more of more of an honest portrayal of what yeah. the majority of those movies were at the time. Yeah, yeah. And they're just. I mean, there's just... probably a little bit of tongue in cheek in that, right? I mean, as far as the yes. actresses in the booth and the guy who's playing the director, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, I mean, some of that. Yeah, it's got to be a little bit. I think it's yeah, it's having a little lighthearted fun with it. I don't think it's yeah. like shitting on the genre, which I would agree with <laughs> if he was. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which would be a nice strong stance to take. (laughs) 
Um, all right. Well, let's talk. Let's talk a little bo. Let's talk a little box office and see how the movie did. Okay. So the uh, the film has an eighteen million dollar budget, which really, yeah. No, it does not. Yes, it does. Big budget, isn't it? For they, that, so massive. A, apparently, how much the, was Lithgow's rate back then? What what my accountants are telling <laughs> me now. Our, our accountants here at Recon Cinema Studios have access to all other studios. They're financial the best records. in the biz. They are top top level. Uh, so they pulled the blowout file, and it uh, it looked like they really spent half the budget just on ads that they pushed this movie really hard. Um, so it was like nine right. million on prints and ads, and nine million for the movie itself. So what? Yeah, so nine million for this seems feels feels more accurate to to what we saw. Um, it comes out July twenty fourth, nineteen eighty one. It had been shot in and around Philadelphia in late nineteen eighty. Uh, it opening weekend makes three million. Ooh. It opens up at number eight. Ooh. Between Yikes. Wolfen and Escape from New York, which was in week I think three or something. So Wolfen, wow. yeah, and and the other new films that we that week were Tarzan, The Ape Man, and and Wolfen. So that's the Albert Finney, uh, I think uh, Albert Finney, Edward James Olmos. Nice. Um, grand total domestic run is thirteen point seven. Ouch. Yeah. Not, Not great. Good. Ends up number fifty seven. Uh, of 1981 uh, right between the night the lights went out in Georgia and the legend of the Lone Ranger so way way deep <laughs> deep I love in the there. legend of the Lone Ranger yeah so of, of our 1981 films that we've covered here on the show probably the least successful at the time mm. it uh, yeah and the movie sort of goes into hiding for years um you know, not really talked about. And, you know, De Palma moves on immediately to, to Scarface right after this. And, you know, that is a huge movie and takes his career. That's really the movie that sort of puts him kind of cements him as, as a, uh, an A-list director. I think he was, you know, probably considered a, I don't know, a B plus level director. At kind the of time. French. Yeah. A little French at yeah, the time. Like he had Carrie, but that was kind of it for a bit. Uh, but then Untouchables is like the next huge movie. Uh, not Untouchables, uh, Scarface. And I don't remember how it did at the box office, but clearly it was a cultural, a big cultural impact. Right. Uh, and Blowout goes into hiding. John Travolta, you know, his the 80s weren't kind to Travolta and he spent about the next almost 15 years 13 you know 13 14 years really struggling I mean he couldn't capture the you know the magic of what he had in the 70s and I don't even remember what he was doing like in the late 80s I mean I think 89 is look who's talking but I'm I remember you know he did he did uh I did a movie experts. Yep. With, with Ari gross. Oh yeah. All right. Yeah. So, and Kelly Preston. Yeah. Where they met. He he did another movie with Olivia Newton, John called, I think called a a patch of blue or something, something like that. Hmm. Uh, That, Hmm. you know, really nothing, nothing's working. You know, we talked about perfect uh, Hmm. with Jamie Lee Curtis. 
you know, really no standout films and is sort of uh, going by the wayside up until our good friend Quentin comes along and completely resurrects the career of Travolta that he's done a number of times. But would you say Travolta is the, I don't know, best case of, of a sort of rags to riches uh, a person that, that, that Tarantino has taken from rags and back to riches? He's got to be one of them. I, I mean, mean, he's everyone has a comeback, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, sure. But I he loves like... to he loves to take some of these older actors. I mean, he does it in almost every one of his movies. He's got a person that he does he sprinkles his Tarantino dust on, and you know, Keitel in Reservoir Dogs, Travolta in Pulp Fiction, Pam yeah. Greer in Jackie Brown. Right, um, right. You know, he loves loves to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, I think his fondness for '70s Travolta came through. Uh, and he put him in his movie, and yeah, it just, career resurrection, I guess. I mean, more. more than just a resurrection, it was it was a complete rebirth of. It was Travolta. like a renaissance. Yeah, I mean, it it really like. Yeah. I mean, because it's it, he would just be doing "Look Who's Talking" movies, like mm-hmm. that's all he would have been doing. He did "Look Who's Talking" now, right before Pulp Fiction dropped. Yeah. And so, like, if Pulp yeah. Fiction hadn't sp- sprung him back into the into the limelight, you know, I mean, he's definitely not going to be doing Get Shorty. I mean, yeah, everything. Probably but all not those were. Off. I mean, all those were were hits. Probably you know? not Face Off. <laughs> all those were hits for for like the first four or five years after Pulp Fiction. Everything was, you know, making money for him. It was. Oh yeah. Broken Arrow and and Face Off and Phenomenon and Get Shorty and all those were uh, were doing really well probably up until the early two maybe Battlefield Earth. I was think sort Battlefield of the, Earth is the one that really like took him down several pegs, right? Yeah. Because it was like notoriously terrible and ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I think that combined with the the Scientology the the public awareness of the Scientology. I don't know. I feel like that may have just impacted him a little bit. And I think just his own choices of what films he were doing, he, he was riding that Vincent Vega wave. I mean, he still rides it. Yeah. You know, so, and, and even the face off wave, like he tries to do those action movies where he's too cool for school and those witty, you know, that witty dialogue, that cool, that di- cool guy dialogue that just doesn't, doesn't work i i wish we could you know i really loved his i didn't see Gotti. i i heard it wasn't very good but i loved his portrayal in in the uh american crime story as um mm-hmm. bob shapiro so uh i was like oh man he can again come back to that travolta let's start let's start really thinking outside what you've been doing so I don't know. Maybe we'll get uh, Pulp Fiction, the animated series, and it'll be like a whole new. That'd be great. This <laughs> new life uh, yet again for Travolta. That's I don't. What I, I wish. See. You know, he's an older guy now. I, I think he should start embracing that and stop trying to play characters the same. You know, thirty to forty year old guys that he. You know, he he's not that anymore. I'd like to see him embracing his age and playing someone age appropriate. He plays a lot of characters are you, that are vague in how old they are are you forgetting old dogs i mean oh, he did oh 
He did embrace his age, sir. Now that's a movie I have erased from the history of my mind. Old dogs. <laughs> Which one was old dogs? Oh. And and don't forget, don't you dare forget Wild Hogs. Yeah, Wild Hogs. And Wild Hogs 2. Was I there think, a sequel? I think so. I think uh I think you know, I think it's just recently though where he's actually going with his natural hair color now. I mean like Which is which is uh, non-existent. Oh, that's true. He was. Oh, that's right. He's not really. It's the birthday really suit hair. of hairstyles. He's mm. got my look. Mine too. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I appreciate that. So. Yeah. Thank yeah, you, John. He's doing his thing, man. Yeah. So, all right. Back to blowout, though. It that movie again is sort of hard to find um not really it's not really running on tv it's not a big rental as the rental market increased uh, and blew up in the whole uh, all along the 80s and uh not until tarantino comes along and not only talking about travolta but that movie in particular is where it starts to come back into the spotlight and mostly for like film buffs you know they're rediscovering it it was yeah and when it came out in Criterion, again, it was another boost for the movie, but it was never, it never came back to like on a mainstream level that a rediscovery of that film and, and a reappreciation of it. So I, I don't know if that'll ever happen, but I, uh, I have mixed feelings about it. I, I used to love it. I see more flaws in it now. I still enjoy it. I still had a, um, I don't know. I still felt like it was a solid film, but I could see some of the some of the holes in it this time. Yeah. Um, the the visuals were were hard uh, hard to sit through this time. I, I appreciate the visuals, and they're really beautiful shots, but I do find them distracting in a lot of De Palma films. So I don't know. That's that's my thought on it. What do you? Uh, should we rate it? Let's rate it one to ten on the Reconsina scale. Uh, I'm gonna give it a. I'm gonna give it a six point five. Oh, nice! Yeah, uh, I'm more of like a six. I don't need to see this movie ever again, but it was it was fine. That's that's yeah. That's where I'm coming from. Right on, right on. I'm gonna go with uh probably like four point three. I think sure. is where I'm four point three. Nice. Yeah, that sounds about right for you. I think I would go back and watch it again. I think I actually want to watch it again. What? <laughs> further separated from the conversation and and also anytime I want to get nostalgic about film school. There you go. There you go. Yeah. You should you should just keep firing up all your old film school movies that you studied. Oh, I've got them. I've got I'm them. I'm still ready waiting to go. for John to email me the list because I've lost mine. Oh, it's like all. Oh, the, yeah, I've got to. I've got to scan it. All the movies you've you've you, you studied. There's a then? list. No, no, no there's yeah. There's an actual film school list that that we were sent before our first year there, uh, that had all the movies that we were going to watch or that we needed to watch during the course of our schooling. For for the four years there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. neat. That's yep. cool. And John it's, has that list. I think it's a doctored list version now, though, right? Like it's a little different. No, I've 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 since made my own. I've since made my own, but I do have the original list. 
which we got in what 97 before we went to uh, school. Well, you got to put dates on things, John. We got to put Just, dates on. Things. Well, because, you know, we were watching movies like Face Off at the time that we went to film. That's school, yeah. so. Accurate. So, uh, yeah, maybe I'll post that on on the Twitter page or something and take a here's one page from our list. There's it, there's handwriting all over it. It's mostly yeah. foreign films uh, with some American. Obviously, it's it's I think it was written in like 95, I think. So uh, nothing after that. Actually, I don't even know if Pulp Fiction. I don't know if Pulp Fiction's even on there. So no, I don't think it is. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it would have been not. No, definitely would not have been put on by the school at that point. Not at that point. No, no. The school would have thought higher of themselves than to do yeah. something that recent. <laughs> But I would think I would think now that film schools would show blowout. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think I think there's a lot to be. I think there's a lot to be uh, learned stylistically from the film. Um, it right. does. It feels like a film school kind of film. Well, certainly. I mean, I think anytime you're going to talk about blow up or you know talk about antonioni or anything like that like it makes sense to to have this and the conversation be part of that discussion um and the other movies that you know came from blow up i'm sure those are not the only two mm-hmm. but but uh but they're two know. of the most well-known yeah i mean probably two of the most digestible for kids in film school like Mm -hmm. you could compare all three so you could you know have a study on how you can alter the story and still use the same themes you know or whatever so um but yeah and and it's interesting too that how watergate you know we didn't mention i'm just going to mention it real quick here but watergate plays into it here you know when the conversation was made like we talked about in that episode that that movie was made like weeks before Watergate happened. So while it's about the same thing, people associate the conversation uh, with Watergate. It really, right. That was not the intention. This movie does play, you know, does call back to Watergate. So it's interesting how those two films, just how, how you can compare and contrast them. Yeah. Well, I think the subject matter of the conversation plays more into a discussion about Watergate, even though they weren't related, you know, like, but this one, I mean, you can still put it in that discussion, but it's, you know, like it, it's not as clearly, um, it's not as clearly connected. Yeah. 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 It's not right. It's not as obvious, but you can still feel those kind of tones left over from the, the Nixon era. Yeah. So, all right, well, that's blowout. It's in the books. Finally. Blowout. God, it's done. I I feel like we've done, you know, I feel like we've done some heavy episodes lately and Next, our next episode, I want to lighten things up. So we're going to do something special. Again, no spoilers yet. Contracts are still being signed. Uh, maybe we'll have a guest. Maybe we won't. It depends. Deals are made. Our legal teams are working round the clock to make things happen here at Recon Cinema Studios. 
So stay tuned, everybody. All right, guys, don't forget to check out our friends, uh, E.K. Wimmer, with his podcast, Laser Graves, where they're taking a look at all things 80s pop culture. And uh, our friend uh, Curtis Moore, we want to say thank you for the poster. Uh, Thank you for that every week. You just keep churning out uh, greatness. And please uh, give us a listen. Uh, Check out our archives at reconsidermation.com. We're at Reconsideration Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, so drop us a line there. Give our podcast a rating and a review. That always helps uh, the profile of the show. And you guys have been so awesome about doing that lately. And, and numbers are up. And they're just going to keep skyrocketing. And who knows what's going to happen. We could have a, a takeover of all the other studios. And, and then what? Oh, a monopoly. <laughs> Then someone will be doing podcasts covering our podcasts, covering other movies. Absolutely. <laughs> Podcast inception. That's that's for Patreon. When we start our Patreon, we're going to be reviewing our own episodes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Well, uh, let's get back to our... our uh, Brent, I got you an early birthday gift. It's a Nagra. So take that out in the field yes. and do your field recordings. I can't wait to go get my field recordings. Is that Build what that audio environments. <laughs> yes, that is the Anagra. That is that is the tape. Oh, I thought machine. that was a, Is that like the brand of it, or is that the? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Is that that's is that Dat recording? Is that no? Is that different? That's that's different. Well, different. Dat is digital, and yeah. that's what. That's oh, what, right. Right. This yeah. is none of that. Okay. None of that. Just right on the reel itself. Shit. Look at that. Okay. So Brent's going to go out in the field. David and I are going to go take a nap. And uh, <laughs> we'll be yeah. back here uh, on our next episode of Reconcinimation. Take care. Bye now. Bye now.